When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's high tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching or listening, live or archived, we are so glad you could join us today as we record on Monday, September 23rd, and talk ACC football, the transitive property, and attendance and much more our crew today we've got malcolm yes he's related stuart behind the scenes producing on the podcast set our managing editor chris coleman our founder and head honcho will stewart and i'm your podcast host evan hughes so glad that everybody could be with us as we record on this monday morning a reminder that the tech sideline podcast is presented each and every week by the fisher law firm virginia's trusted doi and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic related offenses from their offices in blacksburg and roanoke the fisher law firm handles cases throughout the commonwealth of virginia to date the firm has defended more than thirty thousand people charged with moving violations for free consultation call anytime day or evening toll free at 1-800-680-7031 or email them at info at fisherlegal.com i think we need to just call it 40 I bet, I bet they've done another 10,000 since we started doing this. It grows all the time. I think I might just start saying 40,000 and growing by the day. Yeah. Because so I think I think my crew has taken Jonathan with us up to uh, Notre Dame. I think he's going to be hanging with us, and uh, that, ought, that ought to be fun. He uh, he loves to talk politics, and so does Russian Hokey. So they'll be together in, in, our, in the TSL van for – eight hours driving up there talking politics that ought to be really interesting fantastic guys yeah. it's great to be back with you on this uh monday morning how's everybody's weekend solid uh it was it was nice i i love bye weeks i just love them <laughs> you know it, it's a chance to relax and watch other teams play and uh you know it's just it's just really nice i don't wish every week was a bye week but i wish we had like five or six of them during the during the season i went to the beach did you? Yeah, I did. So so far, that's been my favorite week this football season, <laughs> considering the, how the first three games went. So, in so. all seriousness, uh, one of the things that happens when when the when the discussion around Virginia Tech football ramps up, Chris and I can't get away from it. No matter where we go, we cannot get away from it. Of course, we get it all day at work, which is fine. It's our jobs. If he tries to go out and watch a Braves game, people at Champs want to talk about Virginia Tech football. I was at Kroger the other, uh, a couple weeks ago. I remember I told you this story. Yeah. And uh, a guy came up to me. I have no idea who he was. Uh, asked me why we weren't playing Cole Beck and how Cole Beck would turn our running game around. And I'm like, he's got a broken collarbone right now. So I, I can understand, like, I, I understand, like, I've seen Fuente in Kroger and, like, far, Farmer's Market and things like that. I can only imagine some of the stuff he hears when he when he's out doing things like that. <laughs> well, you know, Dave Brain used to talk about uh, um, when when Frank was struggling early in his career. Dave Dave said he quit going to church because there was one guy at church that would hassle him every Sunday about Frank Beamer and when he was going to fire him. 
So Dave's like, I quit going to church and I started going into Frank's uh, coaches meetings and just sitting and watching and hanging with them while they reviewed film. And Dave said that that's how he knew Frank was a good coach, was from sitting in on those sessions. It's probably how Dave knew Frank's assistant coaches weren't good. <laughs> and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, that's anyway, an interesting story. I love it. Well, listen, we've got a great podcast on hand today. Again, we're since Virginia Tech's coming off the bye week, we previewed Duke on Wednesday. So we'll kind of throw it around the ACC, get some thoughts. We'll talk about attendance, which will be an interesting topic around the ACC and some uh, specific schools like UVA. Uh, and we've got a lot coming up on the Tech Sideline podcast again, which is brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm each and every week. Before we dive into it, though, let's take a look at Will's Twitter bio. You can follow Will on Twitter at Will Stewart TSL. He puts a new lyric in his bio, song lyric. Each not, a, not every week, but fairly often. And we've got a good one this week. I'll be honest, I read it, and I, I apparently I need to try and do my best country accent for this. So, so here it goes. <laughs> we'll say it, and we'll okay, get to it. Okay, you just kind of tipped our hand on where it comes from. But anyway, go ahead. That's my bad. I whispered, honey, let's just go on home and have some onion rings and watch TV. So have, have, have at it on Facebook Live, and we will uh, – We'll get to that at the end of the podcast. Awesome. Looking forward to uh, getting and that. And there's actually a little bit of a story there. So Okay. You not, do not a huge story, but a story later after we, after we identify what it is. I think it's fairly easy, but we'll see. All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and dive right into it. We'll kind of take a look at the ACC to begin the podcast and what happened uh, this weekend. First of all, uh, we'll begin with uh, UVA picking up a win hey, against Old Dominion. UVA. Uh, the Monarchs led in the fourth quarter. It looked like maybe ODU would pull off another big in-state upset, but uh, Virginia was able to pull away in the fourth quarter. Did you guys get a chance to watch that game, and, uh, and what were your thoughts? I watched the second half. Uh, I, I think it's time we go ahead and, and acknowledge that Old Dominion's defense is about 100 times better than it was the la in recent years. They, yeah. they changed defensive coordinators. Gary, Gary Caldwell, is that his name? David David, David Blackwell. David Blackwell. <laughs> Gary Caldwell, David Blackwell, whatever. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> something like that. But uh, he uh, did a really good job one in one year at East Carolina turning that defense around. At East Carolina, he took a guy who the year before had been the fifth string running back and made him into the AAC Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, they got a position called the Bandit, which is – is that kind of like Tex whip slash nickel? Or is it more of a de hybrid defensive end thing? Uh, I don't remember. I think that's the hybrid defensive end. Yeah, I think the guy they've got playing it now at ODU was a defensive end. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll admit, I you know, my, my my concentration wanes sometimes. Yeah, uh, but at any rate, uh, that guy has done a great job. He was uh, basically the Bud Foster of FCS for, for a while. Was the linebackers coach at Clemson for about six years. Uh, run a fairly similar scheme to Virginia Tech. You see where I'm getting at here. Yeah, you see where we see where we're headed. Uh -huh. you know? Yeah, uh, so Chris I think I think ODU's defense is legitimately good this year. Uh, very, very physical. You know, it's not like UVA was up there having breakdowns on the offensive line. I mean, I saw all demand and defensive linemen just pushing them on their butts, just knocking them on their butts. It was just a physical mismatch. Uh, those ODU guys were I mean, we, we, we knew UVA's offensive line was bad. You could tell that from the Florida State game. And then they were even worse, I thought, against Old Dominion. Um, and, and a lot of that's UVA, but some of it's Old Dominion, too. Uh, and as far as UVA goes, I mean, I mean look, yeah, they're, they're better than they normally are. They've got a good defense, and they've got a senior quarterback who can make things happen. For, he makes for exceptional the plays. But, but basically what they are is, is Virginia Tech during the Tyrod Taylor era to a certain extent, except – 
Tyrod, with the exception of that, of his sophomore year, you know, had good receivers around him. UVA has a bad offensive line and very mediocre skill position players. Yeah, and you know, and Tyrod also had Ryan Williams in the, and in the David backfield. Wilson and Darren Evans. Oh, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let, let's not go on right. a tangent, Will. When you think about the talent, yeah, on that right, offense. right. See, yeah, um, but a lot of times that offense was Tyrod Taylor taking a play that didn't work and making it work. Well, and, that, and that's and that's how UVA beat Florida State when their super superhero quarterback did that. And we, we we talked about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, where I, where I watched the uh, I think it was the '08 uh, Boston College Virginia Tech game up in Chestnut Hill, and just how horrendous Tech's offense was. And it was exactly that unimaginative running plays, Tyrod dropping back to pass and running for his life. All freshman wide receivers. Yeah. You yeah. Know, was that game kind of like a cloudy, overcast game in Chestnut Hill? If it, it was a night. Correct. It was a night game. It was the game where Virginia Tech uh, won the turnover battle four to nothing. Had two defensive touchdowns and still lost twenty eight twenty three. Anyway, let's let's yes, not go yes, down that. So let's not. Right. Um, so Virginia at a, at a four and start. We'll spend a little bit of time on the Cavaliers. They're up to number eighteen in the polls. They play number ten Notre Dame this week. I don't know if you guys got a chance to watch the Notre Dame. I watched that out of the corner of my eye on one TV over here while I watched the Virginia game over here. Yeah, I, I mostly watched UVA. Sometimes, uh, um, you know, I've got Dish Network at home, and it's got a pretty cool feature where you can split do a picture in picture and split the screen up into oh, really? four quads um and sometimes that's really cool i can basically watch four college football games at once i only get sound on one of them at a time but you can kind of keep track of things and so with a 55 inch tv that works out to four 27 inch tvs so i gotta get i gotta get me a 65 inch tv so i'm watching four 32 inch tvs basically uh but i didn't do that the other night i i, I wanted to focus on uva and and odu and, but I did watch some of the, the end of the Notre Dame-Georgia game. And by the time I got to it, the announcers were basically saying, uh, you know, Notre Dame at the beginning looked fast and they were hanging with them. It's just they wore down after a while. So. so obviously we're not Notre Dame experts and, you know, we don't spend a ton of time looking at UVA. But, you know, that is one of the focal points this weekend in college football. Be number 10, Notre Dame at home, number 18, Virginia. Do you think the Cavaliers just – from what you guys have seen, can they hang with Notre Dame? Is that a game that could be? I don't a- see how they're going to score. Um, I, I just don't see how that, that offensive line and and their average core receivers are going to function against Notre Dame's defense. Uh, I, you, you know their quarterback Perkins is sore today, man. He took a beating the other night, especially that hit late in the game where he stayed down for a long time. Yeah. I thought he was done then. Yeah. Uh, so he he's going to be sore. He's not going to be 100% in late November. He's not 100% now. He probably wasn't 100% when Tech played him last year because he is their offense. He's like he's like a running back that has to carry the ball too much, you know I mean? Yeah. Except, he's, a good he's, point. except he's playing quarterback. Um, so I just don't see it. I, I, think, I think UVA's defense is capable of going up there and playing a good game and, and keeping them in it for I a while. I think they'll be competitive. But over the course of four quarters, I, I, I think Notre Dame will steadily pull away. Because I, I just don't think, you know, I don't, I don't think the UVA offense will be able to do much, like 27 to 10, 31 to 10, something like that. So, you know, getting back to UVA and ODU, I, I, thought, I thought one of the things that might happen this weekend was that UVA might smoke ODU. And then, then we'd have to put up with that on the message boards, you know, speaking of the transitive property of football. You know, if UVA goes out there and beats ODU 48 to 10, 
and Tech only only beat them 31-17, then you know that that gives another bone for the discontented to chew on. Well, that didn't happen. You know, uh, uh, ODU got up on them. I think it was was it seventeen nothing. Seventeen nothing. And quite you, frankly, they should have won the football game. Oh, they gave the, it two gave two it plays, two yeah. plays. That awful pick six. They threw a pick six. It was terrible. It was just terrible. And, and then going for it on fourth and one from your own thirty. Yeah. Now, no, it's one thing if they'd been on UVA's thirty, but even if they'd picked up that first down, they got seventy. Yards they got to seventy go. yards to go to the end zone. They got forty yards to get in field goal range. They hadn't picked up 40 yards since the second quarter. I think they were down. Uh, they were 17-7 at halftime. Yeah, but what, what was the score? It was 17-14 at this point. Uh, and, um, they, and they they were winning and they <coughs> did that? Ugh. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, they were winning when they did it. And UVA's offense was showing no signs of life at that point. Yeah. So they went for it, didn't get it. UVA goes 30 yards for a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, just awful. That was awful, some bad awful coaching. Awful coaching, yeah. yeah. So you know, I I think we do need I I think we need to admit not just that ODU's defense is a lot better, but same as the the team that we watched last year uh, in their stadium, that that's a that's a physical football team. You know they've they've got some I don't want to use the word skill, but that's a that's a pretty decent football well, team. D- you know, defensively they they're more physical. They they had they basically had two or three guys last year. Their offensive line is is just got obliterated by UVA's defensive line. Yeah. But but uh. They lost some of their more physical players, yet they're, as a whole, their defense is more physical than it was a year ago. Yeah. They lost the guy who plays for the Giants now, the defensive right, end. Right. Uh, they lost that big physical running back. Lost a had. couple of NFL caliber wide receivers. Right, who were both on. So, yeah. so here's what I think about ODU. When you look at them, I think they passed the eye test. I think one of the things they struggle with is I don't think they're well coached, and that was shown in the, in the in-game coaching the other night. Yeah. I also – there's a lot of churn on their roster every year. There's a lot of transfers there. You know, if you go and look uh, almost – you know, I, I, we did the analysis before Tech played ODU, and, and there had been a lot of turnover on their roster. I think if their program was consistently built from the ground up with the same players and redshirting them and things like that, they might actually be a pretty good football. Yeah, player. I think I think that was part of the problem. Is I don't know. They started out the the Wilder era started out really well. Yeah. But I think they reached a point where I, I don't know. I think they needed to clear some guys out last year because they weren't. They just weren't four, any four good. and eight last year. Correct. Uh, th- Maybe yes, four and eight, four and eight including yeah. the win over Tech and, and a win over VMI or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so they they were they were a bad football team. I mean, they're they're definitely better this year, no question. That yeah. They're better. They're, they still don't have the offense, I don't think. The the um, quarterback play is just not good. Enough. And, and it's funny because early in Wilder's tenure, like when uh, Heineke was their quarterback, they were all all offense and no defense. And this year it looks like it's going to. And then the last couple of years they were no offense and no defense. Yeah, and uh, it looks like this year. They're going to be no offense and, so, uh, and a whole lot of defense. So, anyway, I'm glad I didn't have to deal with a, a huge UVA victory. And, and and it also, I think, it pointed out to Virginia Tech fans, and there were some other games Saturday in the ACC that we'll get to, mm-hmm. that pointed out to Virginia Tech fans that this is a week-to-week thing. Yes. You know, Tech Virginia Tech looked really rough after three games, but then you got a bye week, and there's a few teams in the ACC that look pretty rough too. But yeah, and that are looking rougher as the year goes. Like, like UVA, believe it or not, they do have weaknesses, right? Yeah, yeah. And and, and you saw those on full display. Actually, you saw them against Florida State with the with the offensive line. It's just you know we all know about Florida State. They're yeah. that's, they're a bit of a train wreck right now. Yeah. And we'll get to the, those ACC scores in just a moment. I want I want to wrap up with Virginia about this. Clearly, the next two weeks for UVA 
maybe the biggest point of their season going yeah. to South Bend to play Notre Dame. And then they go to Miami to play the Hurricanes. After that, Duke, Louisville, Carolina, Virginia, <laughs> excuse me, Georgia Tech, Liberty, and then Virginia Tech wow. to close their yeah. season. So when, when you look at this UVA team, even if they lose those two games, let's say worst-case scenario against Miami and Notre Dame, do you still think there's a chance that Virginia could go 9-3? and three or well, Sure. I mean, 9-3 nine, nine is certainly possible. They've got a really good defense and a senior quarterback. And with as weak as the ACC quarter uh, – excuse me, as weak as the ACC Coastal Division is this year, that might be all you need. Miami's got a really good defense, but they've got a freshman quarterback. Right. That's the difference between Miami and UVA. And I, and I just I still think that that I think UVA's culture is solid. You know I think they're all kind of pushing in the same direction. And you've heard me talk about Miami's culture. I just you know yes, they 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 are less than the sum of their parts at any given point in time. And I don't think UVA is. I don't I don't think they're less than the sum of their parts. I think they're they've got that program going in the right direction. You're listening to the Tech Sideline podcast presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm. Where Throwing it around the ACC, we'll talk about attendance and a little bit and much more on the TSL podcast. Uh, looking at scores around the ACC, Clemson uh, 52-10 over Charlotte on uh, on Saturday evening. They scored, what, 17 in the first quarter and 21 in the second quarter. Um, maybe the game, underrated game of the week in the ACC was Pittsburgh knocking off Central Florida 35-34. to That UCF team has a ton of athletes and a ton of talented quarterbacks. That's a big win for Pat Narduzzi and Pam. You know, I, I, I watched a good portion of that game, and what impressed me particularly early on was, you know, they, they come into the game talking up UCF's offense and how fast they play and how many weapons they have, and they, they spent a good portion of the first quarter getting mauled by Pittsburgh's defensive <laughs> line. I was really impressed with, with Pitt's play. Um, I've, I've kind of forgotten what happened in the middle of the game. You know, Pitt got up. Uh, have, you, have you got the scoring breakdown? I do. There? So, Pittsburgh was ahead 21-10 at the half. I think it was 21 I think they were ahead 21 nothing. Yeah. like late first quarter, early second yeah. quarter. And I'll talk about that in a second. So, they, they were up 21-10 at half. And then what happened after that? UCF scored 21 in the third quarter. Pittsburgh scored seven. And then the Panthers scored seven in the fourth. And uh, UCF only had a field goal. Yeah, so it wound up being 35-34, right? They scored on the last drive to win the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pittsburgh's offense looked a lot better than they've looked all season, and the announcers were saying, where's this offense been, particularly when they scored 21 points in the first quarter. Um, and it was funny because Pitt gets up 21 nothing, and, and the announcers start they start in on UCF. They start in talking about how this is why they're going to struggle to make the playoff because, you know, this is what people are going to use against them. And, and Rod Gilmore was careful to say, there's still plenty of time here, you know. And uh, sure enough, UCF made some plays, came back and took the lead, and, and, and that line of conversation changed. But absolutely, don't, don't underestimate that. That was a big win for, for Pittsburgh. And keep in mind that Pittsburgh lost their season opener to UVA at home. But since last week, uh, excuse me, two weeks ago, you'll remember they nearly knocked off Penn State. They made some plays in that Penn State game. They just – Got down there at the goal line and couldn't finish. So if Pittsburgh keeps playing like this, are they a, a a dark horse in the ACC Coastal? Would you say they're currently, you know, they've got that one loss, but do you yeah. think if they keep playing like they that, did the last two weeks that they, they could challenge? They've UVA, lost to UVA head-to-head. So UVA's if, got the tiebreaker on them. So, yeah, so if it ended up being a, a tie, you know, the, the UVA would get it. I just – I yes, they're a dark horse. Um, I don't think they're likely to win it. Um, I, I don't just – 
I know their offense is better against UCF, but I still don't think it's good enough. But you can say that like for you can say that about Miami. Miami's offense isn't very good, and UVA's offense outside of Perkins is is isn't any good either. So so, so again, Pittsburgh's one of those team like teams like UVA where they've had the head coach in place for a while. They had, you've heard me talk about this, they had 19 seniors last year, 18 yep. of them were red shirts, and the other one was, I think, Darren Hall, who Always be red shirt. didn't need to red shirt. <laughs> so you, you, you see that last year, you know, 19 seniors, including 18 red shirt seniors, they're losing all those guys, and you think, oh, they're not going to be as good next year. They're probably not as good this year, but that doesn't mean they're bad. They've still got an identity. They've still got a well-established system and, and player development going on. Do you think we should make Chris a shirt that, like, quotes – Always red shirt, Chris Always Coleman. Always be red shirt. <laughs> yeah, you know, Pitt's never t- never going to be a team that recruits great or anything like that, but I, I think to maximize – their whole thing is toughness, getting the strongest, yeah. toughest players out there. And when you put fifth-year seniors on the field, at that point they've maxed out their strength, right, through five years at the school. And uh, yeah. So I think it's important at a school like Pitt that they do red shirt guys and – I think it's important for most schools outside of your elite that, that recruit at the Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Alabama level. Georgia, so, those yeah, kind of yeah. teams. I think redshirting is very important. I want to move this conversation along. A couple of scores that we won't talk about from this weekend, but you know, Boston College did beat Rutgers 30-16. Rutgers kept it close initially. Uh, the Scarlet Knights scored a touchdown, and the center actually celebrated by punching his quarterback in the helmet. I don't know if you guys saw that. I was, actually um, got a notification on my phone, and <laughs> it said, Rutgers uh, – Rutgers player celebrates scoring a touchdown, dot, dot, dot. And I didn't click on it. I knew I knew it was talking click about bait. some kind of funny click celebration, bait. but I thought it was funny that it just said, Rutgers player celebrates scoring a touchdown. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. They don't get to do it very often. This honest. doesn't happen very often. <laughs> but, no, he literally punched his quarterback in the helmet. I mean, it was odd. I've never seen that before. I, I will say this. Every week that goes by, that loss to Boston College doesn't get any better looking. You know, no. they got stomped by Kansas at home. They – they didn't exactly blow Rutgers out, you know, but let's not dwell on that. Yep. Uh, Syracuse beat Western Michigan 52-33. to uh, Wake Forest is now 4-0, 3-0 at home, 49-7 over a pretty good FCS school in Elon in the CAA. Um, Florida State 35-24 over Louisville. We'll talk about the attendance of that game in a little bit. And Miami, an ugly win over Central Michigan, 17-12 to uh, at home. I think it was 7-2 at halftime. Yeah. <laughs> yep, you're right. Seven to two. So and some, somebody said something about the score of that game on the message board, and I said, I don't know. It looks like Miami's got a couple of homers, and they're up seven to two, you know, in the fifth inning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how Central Michigan's baseball team would be, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And then NC State beat Ball State 34 23. We'll wrap up the conversation. We'll go a little bit in depth about App State moving to 3 and 0 and going into Carolina, knocking off the Tar Heels 34 31. Will, it felt like after the first two weeks, Mac is back, Mac is back, Carolina's back. Should we be pumping the brakes on that? You should. We we never talked about it, and I never said this, but, um, yeah, that's a good start for them to go 2-0 and like that, but there, there's too much building for them to do for their uh, um, uh, success to be consistent. And as a matter of fact, we did talk about it, and Chris and I said repeatedly, wait till the film gets out on that freshman quarterback. He'll get easier to defend. You know, and I don't know if that's part of what went on with App State. I didn't watch the game. I also uh, think their first two games, they've uh, they played South Carolina. And they go up against a coach, Will Muschamp, who is offensively challenged, to say the least. And, and I think South Carolina's really this is a struggle this, this year. Is, this is a coach who got fired from Florida, an easier job than South Carolina. Yeah. And then got hired by South Carolina, a tougher job. 
yeah. in, in the same conference and, and division. So I don't think you should expect great success at South Carolina with Will they're, Bus, they're, Bus Champ. And then the next week, it's Miami and their freshman offensive line and freshman quarterback. Yeah. And you know what happens when you put too many freshmen on the field. Uh, and, but then you go up against Wake Forest, which – you know, has more upperclassmen in Appalachian State, which I'm guessing has more upperclassmen. And uh, having upperclassmen is important. I mean, I mean, uh, listen. Obviously, South Carolina and Miami have more talent than Wake Forest and Appalachian State. So, there, so there's a there's a discussion. Sorry to interrupt, but there's a discussion on the message board this weekend about uh, how a team like App State is full of football players instead of athletes. You know, so you get into this thing of, uh, and, and, and this is a large topic and I haven't thought it through, so I might stick my foot in my mouth, but, um, you know, is it, it as, as fewer and fewer kids play football, are you getting more and more kids who are, are maybe good athletes, but not necessarily good football players? So things like maturity and age and, and mm-hmm. being, and, and in this discussion, I brought up the guy, the kid Carney that plays for, for Wake Forest that that throwback fullback type that Frank would have just loved to have had in the mid nineties. You know, Frank had players like that in the mid nineties. Carney's a football. I don't even know his first name, but I've watched him. He's a football player. That's a guy saying he's a Sam Rogers type, maybe not as gifted athletically because Sam was an excellent athlete. Sam was a football player, you know? So I think that the, the maturity also plays into have you got older guys and are they football players as opposed to athletes? If that's the case, you got a good chance against almost anybody. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that's true. Um, and Virginia Tech's just got so many freshmen, man. I mean, we, we saw when Virginia Tech had experienced players on at least one side of the ball, they went 10-4 and four and 9-4 and four under Fuente. And since then, it's just been all freshmen and sophomores, and you've seen the results. And freshmen and sophomores, as a group, do not win. It's, it's not going to happen unless they're like the top 50 types, top 100 types that all go to Alabama and Clemson. If you get them all, you know, all that ultra talent together, then sure they can win. But your, your average three-star recruit, you know, they need, they need to redshirt. And Coach them up. I, I, see, I see so many guys that are against – redshirting these days. I mean, I, I, I read so many recruiting interviews, whether it's on TSL or 247 or wherever, and you see guys saying, yep, I want to go to a place where I can play as a freshman and enjoy my three to four years at the college level. Right. So they're I, I thinking mean, about three playing three years and leaving. And leaving, right. So when Khalil Pimpleton, who played as a true freshman in Tech but wasn't getting great playing time behind Sean Savoy, he leaves in the middle of the season. True freshman. Man, true Dude, freshman. have a little patience. Have a little bit of patience, for goodness sake. Yeah. Uh, because App State kids, they weren't highly recruited. Right. Uh, so they're not worried about that. Uh, it's, just, it's just not something that worries about them. I watched Michigan, with their top ten classes, get mauled by Wisconsin. With their 30s. With 30 their to, 30 their to 40th ranked classes. Yeah. I'm telling. It goes back to what I said last year. I don't think recruiting higher-rated classes is necessarily good for Virginia Tech unless they're it's, really it's, highly rated. Unless they're really highly which, rated, you, you, you know, you, you get to this, you get that to that point in the middle where, yeah, you've got guys that other schools want. You've got guys that think they should come in and play early when they shouldn't, uh, when they and all that. And 
they get thrown out there uh, before they're ready, and and then they transfer out because things aren't going how they envision their career going. Blah blah. You know, blah, you know, blah. guys like Devin Hunter are rare, R- highly right. rated yeah. guys who come in and don't get a lot of playing time right away, and then don't jump into the portal. Exactly. You know, that's that's and that's why Tech fans, regardless of how Devin Hunter's career works out, right. he will always have the respect of Virginia Tech fans. Or, yeah, he should. Um, absolutely, he should because of that. So to me. I'm not convinced that like signing higher ranked classes is good for Virginia Tech because I I don't think that's the culture we need to build of guys coming in demanding playing time as true freshmen. Because there's too much churn. There's too many guys. Exactly. Bailing. You know, I, I I'd rather recruit at Wisconsin level, have guys accept red shirting and then build it from from the ground up, have an experienced team of red shirt juniors and red shirt seniors and, and things like that. So that, so that gets into another thing. And again, I don't want to hijack this podcast with it because it's actually kind of a large topic. Um, one of the things that is pressuring college football coaches now, now that the transfer portals become such a thing is not only do you have to get guys in, but you, number one, you kind of have to keep re-recruiting them. You got to take everybody's temperature all the time and see how they're doing. And number two, you have to build a culture in your program that makes guys want to stay even if they're not getting playing time. And that's tricky. And the easy way to say it is you have, it has to be fun. And I've said this before, football's not fun. It's a tough sport. So if you can make the team culture one of fun, and again, that's, that's an area where Clemson has excelled. They've made things fun, and I've talked about that before. So suddenly it's this challenge of, man, you gotta, you got to keep re-recruiting these guys, and you got to make sure you have fun. And some coaches, the fun is not in their DNA. You know, and, and again, that's let's not hijack the podcast, but that's part of the discussion. No, certainly an, uh, an interesting discussion, and uh, that was fun. Uh, that will kind of wrap things up as we – look at the ACC as a whole from this week. Let's well, do this. We were going to talk about attendance, right? We, I'm going to take a timeout. Okay. We're going to okay. take a timeout because uh, the TSL podcast is presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm. When we come back, we will talk about attendance in college football. Interesting discussion to close out the podcast. This is the TSL podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Our thanks to Jonathan Fisher and his team at the Fisher Law Firm for being the title sponsor of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Welcome back aboard. Recording on Monday, September 23rd. Hope you had a fantastic weekend and thanks so much for making Tech Sideline a part of your day. We've got Malcolm, yes, he's related Stewart producing. We've got Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, and I'm Evan Hughes. We transitioned from talking about the ACC as a whole because Tech had the week off, so taking a look around the conference. And now we talk about attendance in college football. I'm, I'm eager to get into this conversation. And, Will, you brought this up. Uh, it's something that has been talked about a lot in recent years. Even uh, Coach Nick Saban topic, at yeah. Alabama last year called out the student body at Alabama for not Was showing up Was it last year or games. the year before? I mean, Saban's been talking about it for a while. But it, it, even more so than the students, just as a whole, attendance in college football – why do you think yeah, it's let's, declining? Let's not beat up on the students. You know? yeah. and, 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 and everybody knows why it's declining. It's because it's, it's gotten more expensive, a lot more expensive. The televisions have, and, and the, the in-home experience has gotten fantastic. And I just detailed that for you. I can watch four games at once. 
with excellent replay angles and all that stuff. And I've talked before about uh, back when I used to be in the press box, uh, my worst days as a college football fan were when Virginia Tech played William & Mary at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't get to watch the early games. i got to watch Tech smoke William & Mary at 2 o'clock. Then i got to write it up, and I can't watch the night games either. You know, and as a college football fan, I already know how this Virginia Tech William & Mary game is going to work out. I want to watch some other games, and I can't. So you extend that to fans. If a fan goes to an afternoon game, he can't watch the morning games, and he can't watch the night games. So he loses a whole day of college football. And there's a ton of college football on television, and your refrigerator's right over there with your favorite beer. And there's a bathroom you don't have to stand in line for. You know, that's all. That's all well-known stuff. Um, so, attendance is—it's been a topic for a few years. To me, it's ramping up because uh, go over some of the numbers uh, from. Uh, that we talked about when we were prepping for this from, from the weekend. So from this weekend, the App State-North Carolina game, the announced attendance was 50,500. Which is not bad. Their capacity is only about 51. Um, oh, that's right. They did drop their capacity. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's part of the discussion. At Doak Campbell Stadium in Tallahassee for Florida State and Louisville, 46,530. Oh, which is like half their capacity. I'm not sure it was that many people. Um, so... And then I have up, I need to pull up for uh, the ODU, but for the Virginia-Florida State, 57,826 announced. And then I will scramble here to find the Old Dominion. Uh, it was it was uh, high 40s, low 50s. Or was it 44, Chris? Is that what 44, you said? 44,500 thereabouts. Wow. Yeah. So. It was a bad crowd. The Old Dominion Virginia game from this past Saturday. The announced attendance on the UVA website: forty four thousand five hundred seventy three. That is almost twenty thousand below capacity. So, in in the late nineties and early two thousand, schools like Virginia Tech and UVA were increasing attendance, uh, increasing capacity to the mid sixties. Uh, UNC at the time, their capacity was I think sixty five thousand in Keenan Stadium. Um, UNC has already made the jump, and uh, you know they. They tore out their metal bleachers last year and replaced them with chair back seats, and that reduced capacity from roughly 65 to about 51 or 52, maybe as much as 53. It dropped it uh, considerably. And I went and looked at UNC's attendance uh, averages for the four years leading up to last year, and they were averaging 51 or 52,000 fans a game. And one of those years, they won the Coastal. They went, they Larry won Fedora. 10 games and won the Coastal. And so they finally said they, they were kind of the early adopt, one of the early adopters of, you know what, let's stop kidding ourselves. This is, this is how many fans are going to come to our games, so let's make it a better experience for those fans and try to keep them in the seats, keep them coming, keep them buying tickets. Um, I am of the opinion, so Virginia Tech's attendance so far this year has been 57, 57 and, 53. and 52 or 53. Virginia Tech's actually doing pretty well. When, when you Florida State had 47,000 against Louisville, and Virginia Tech had 53,000 against Furman. And Florida State is in Tallahassee, an urban environment with a lot of people, and it's the capital of Florida. And a long, glorious history of winning. Right. Yeah, so, so if you look around Lane Stadium and you start to worry about how attendance is dropping, yes, it's down, but it's actually worse at some other places. Yeah. Um, so I am of the opinion – and, and this, this will be in my mind over the course of the next one, two, or three years. Uh, number one, it, let's say Virginia Tech gets better next year and starts winning eight, nine, ten games again. 
I'm just not sure you're ever going to put 65,000 fans in Lane Stadium again. So I think with Babcock, I know Witt wants to do some stuff, some stuff with the East stands that's interesting. He wants to uh, – and and I don't want to speak out of turn because this isn't even something that's going to get announced soon or anything like that. Your next big project at Virginia Tech is going to be Castle Coliseum. It's not going to be Lane Stadium. But looking down the road, Witt wants to do something with the East stands where he builds some luxury boxes over there. I think he ought to rip the Band-Aid off, go UNC style, get rid of the bleachers, go with nice chair back seats, cut capacity. Um, we're going to find out in the next few years exactly which way Virginia Tech's attendance is going to trend. I just think I think you need to get out, do like UNC did and get out ahead in front of it and just, just go ahead and make the change. Uh, so I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say than that. No, that's yeah. Yeah, interesting. And let me – Thank Jim Weaver again for not expanding that stadium to seventy-five thousand. Yeah. So remember, there were uh, there were three options. And I forget what the third option was, but uh, option one is obviously the one they went with. But option two was to say, yeah, we're not going to build all those luxury boxes or club seats. We're just going to take seating in the west stands all the way up to the top, seventy-five thousand seats. Yep. And yep. they chose not to do that. Yeah. Thank goodness. I think the third option might have been uh, north end zone. North end uh, zone. Doing it like okay. the south end yeah, zone. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. Now, um, now Jim's, Jim's reason wasn't because he was a soothsayer who saw the decline in, in college football attendance. He went and talked to NFL teams, and they said, yeah, we're building them 60 to 65 right now with lots of luxury seating. Right. And you make more money that way. Right. You know, Jim, Jim's focus was always making right. more money. Right. But regardless of his motivation, it was the right decision. It was the right decision because imagine – if we did not have those luxury boxes and stuff, and we just had a bunch of empty seats that we were still paying debt service on. Yeah, 52,000 fans in a 75,000-seat stadium is, is a worse look than 52,000 in a 65,000-seat stadium. <laughs> yeah. um, I do want to make sure I bring this up before we turn it over to Facebook and Malcolm. The transitive property of football. football. <laughs> and we talked about that earlier. If, if, if UVA had beaten ODU – 48 to 10 or something like that how how tech fans would have gone nuts you know and are you a believer in the transitive i am not it's kind of like recruiting rankings star (laughs) rankings i am not in favor of the recruiting of the transitive property of football if you're just looking at a couple of games but you do get a transitive property of football if you if as the games start to pile up and you play four games and six games and eight games but even then, you get surprising results from, from time to time. And you, you look at recruiting star rankings the same way. There are four-star recruits that, uh, you know, that flop. But if you pack your team full of four-star recruits, you're probably not going to flop. You know, so, it's, again, it, it's that discussion. On the aggregate, I think there's truth in it. I always struggled with geometry, but I always knew the one property I always had down was the transitive property. And here, now, here, mathematics, here. it's really easy, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's uh, turn it over to Malcolm. Yes, he's related. Stuart, our fantastic producer of the Tech Sideline podcast. Malcolm, how's it going over there? Not bad. Not a lot of comments today. Um, our first well, we, one, we didn't really announce it. Yeah, yeah it's fair. Uh, Eric Fisher, how badly did you want ODU to beat UVA on Saturday? Okay, so uh, I'm the president of Sports War LLC, which owns uh, the Sabre.com and TechSideline.com. So what I personally wanted to happen Saturday was I wanted UVA to win because it's good for business, it's good for the company. But I didn't want them to win by 35 points. (laughs) So that outcome was pretty much what I wanted. Good. So there you go. There you go. (laughs) What do you think, Chris? Oh, I wanted OU to win. 
<laughs> and I know most Virginia Tech fans wanted ODU to win. I have a totally different viewpoint on that standpoint than, than most people. So what else? Uh, Dave DeServo. Dave DeServo. I, I pronounced that right. Uh, he he said, good game for Kuma, though. One reception for four yards. <laughs> uh, Eric Cunningham got to run the football a little Chris bit. Or catch some, Chris Cunningham, sorry. Who's Eric Cunningham? You've just mixed up Eric Kuma and Chris uh, Cunningham. Yeah, well. It's easy to do. <laughs> Their stories are similar, except Chris similar. handled himself with much more class than Eric did. Anybody yeah. uh, comment on the uh, song lyric in the bio? Mm-mm. All right, well, let's go ahead and turn to that again, shall we? Uh, I whispered, honey, let's just go on home and have some onion rings and watch TV. So who is that, Malcolm? I almost forgot. Uh Queen of my double-wide trailer, Sammy yep. Kershaw. By Sammy Kershaw. Uh Early '90s, uh, mid '90s country song. Uh, so uh, the the story there is that uh, when Malcolm was little, a little guy, uh, we used to play a lot of Sammy Kershaw. My wife and I were going through a country phase, and, and we had Sammy's greatest hits, and Queen of My Double Wide Trailer, and Your Tattoo, and uh, Third Rate Romance, and and songs like that. And uh, Malcolm was a cute little guy. We'd, we, we'd, put, we'd put him on. We'd say, Malcolm, who is this? And he would say, Kermie Shaw. <laughs> so that's <laughs> kind, of, it's kind of a family joke. But uh, um, the, I was just driving around the other day. I'm always looking for kind of interesting, kind of funny lyrics, uh, whether they're well-known or not. And uh, that's, uh, I love the lyrics. That's in a that good song. one. Yeah. Onion rings, watching TV. So he's it's just, he's, it's a song about, you, you probably don't know the song. It's a song about how... Uh, he uh, he he's married to the uh, queen of his du- uh, queen of his double wide trailer with the polyester curtains and the redwood deck, and it's just a just a classic country song. He he goes out to a bar and he catches her talking to uh, Earl at the bar, and Earl is the Charlie Daniels of the torque wrench. He rebuilds engines, <laughs> and that's what Sammy leans over and says to her, "Honey, let's just go on home, some have, have some onion rings, and watch TV." So now now I know what I'm listening to when I leave the offices today, and I uh, <laughs> turn on my music in my car, uh, Chris. Uh, I know Tech Sideline this week's going to be a little bit of a, of a busy week and everything mm-hmm. might get pushed up a little right. bit with the kickoff Friday. Five days of content in four days is the goal this week. So it's a great... Yeah. Di- uh, I, I, I can skip the uh, true freshman report because it was a bye week. But other than that, it's going to be... All now, I will stuff. tell you that there will be no Monday thoughts Monday. today. But we will have Brandon Patterson article later today. Yeah. So, and uh, this is recording on Monday. So, Brandon uh, Patterson, Monday, yes. today. Yep. Um, so, I, I'm, I'm in a blue jersey right now due to my, my hand injury. Um, I'm here, but it's a non-contact situation for me. So, I, I can't really contact the keyboard. So I, I, in all seriousness, I've been able to answer emails and participate on the message board and Twitter and things like that. But I, I cannot fathom typing a three or 4,000-word article right now. So, that, that's just not going to happen today. And um, I'll, I'll keep rehabbing and try to get back out there. <laughs> and then uh, the preview, what, what day will that come out, do you think? Uh, for it should do- be Wednesday. Yeah. Regular day. Yep. yep. Fantastic. Well, speaking of Wednesday, that's when the Tech Sideline podcast returns. Uh, we will be previewing Duke and Virginia Tech, and that is a uh, night kickoff on Friday. Friday night lights in Lane Stadium. I love Friday night games. It's a white effect game, by the way. Oh, so, fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I still think – when they play UVA on those those Thanksgiving Friday nights, man, we we need to make that a blackout. Black Friday, blackout. You know, why is this hard to understand? You know, let's do it. Black uniforms, the whole deal. 
You're listening, Wit? Bring back those. Of course, uh, we're not here this 2010 year. Nike Pro Combat black uniforms from the Boise State Tech games. I yeah, know they, they, they were favorite uh, uniforms. I, I, I hate when I see somebody wearing those jerseys because like, dude, it reminds why, me of that, that game. That's one of the most painful losses ever. Why, why, are, why are you reminding yourself of it? <laughs> those were better than the 2015 black jerseys that they wore for Frank's last so. game. Yeah. yeah, the 2010 that's versions are way better. I, I forgot about that. Those were worn for. Uh, I'll close with this. The last version of NCAA football, you can choose those 2010 Nike. Okay. Oh, yeah. They were cool, but, man. Uh, uh, and then I tell you what, uniforms quick. The, the Stanford game, the orange. I was a fan of the that uniform. Oh, no. No? No. Okay. Hey, hey, Malcolm. The the the, uh, the little mini helmets that are under the uh, table here is one of them the black helmet. Yeah. 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 One of it, it made to. Uh, yeah. Hold left. that sucker up there. There you go. That thing's cool. There it is. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for the uh, the Tech Sideline podcast today, gentlemen. As always, a ton of fun. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, looking forward to Wednesday. Yep. All right, thanks. thanks. All right, for our uh, fantastic producer behind the scenes, Malcolm, yes, he's related, Stewart. On the podcast set, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and the head honcho, Will Stewart. My name is Evan Hughes, proud host of the Tech Sideline Podcasting. So long. We'll talk to you Wednesday as we preview Virginia Tech and Duke right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the official law.